Well, friends, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. And we're reading verses 1 to 8. Uh, and as you're turning there, or I can direct your attention up here at the screen above, uh, we're beginning a new sermon series today in the book of Acts. Um, this will be a long series. Uh, I've been at Cornerstone for almost three and a half years, and in that time, uh, I've usually tackled shorter sermon series, between three to 11 weeks long. And so, uh, in three and a half weeks, I've done 20 sermon series. Uh, but as we begin the book of Acts, um, you guys have to prepare yourself because we are going to be in this, I estimate, uh, between 50 to 70 weeks. So we're going to try to spend about two years in the book of Acts. Now, before you go crazy, um, I'll take breaks in between and address other things in the life of the church. Um, but we are going to spend and invest this amount of time in the book of Acts for this reason. It's very important. The book of Acts teaches us how to keep the main thing the main thing. You see, this year's ministry theme and next year's ministry theme is Think a Kingdom. How do we think about the kingdom of God? And the life of the early church, as it's recorded in the book of Acts, is all about how they were thinking in their minds and in their mission, the kingdom of God. And so we want to take our meditation the next uh, two years or so uh, on this book and learn how to think kingdom. And so with that, please stand with me as your act of worship for the reading and the receiving of God's holy and life-transforming word. I'm reading Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Here now, friends, the reading of God's holy word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 years and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Friends, would you pray with me once more as we ask God's blessing now upon the preaching of his word. Father, we're so thankful that we have a God who speaks to us. You are not a God who hides in a mountain and tells us to seek and find you. You've revealed yourself and you've done so through your word. We thank you for that your word comes to us, Lord, not as a record of things about you, but as your actual word. And I pray then as we hear it, you would give us, O Holy Spirit, ears to hear and a mind to understand and a heart to believe and then hands that respond in obedience and in faith. Lord, bless now the preaching of your word. Speak because we, your church, your people are eagerly listening. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you think of some of the most uh, famous and popular books and movies, you'll notice that many of them exist in threes. Of course, many of them don't exist in threes. Things like the Chronicles of Narnia and Harry Potter exist in, you know, many volumes. But there are some that exist in trilogies. For example, The Lord of the Rings. 
or um, something like The Hunger Games exist in trilogies. Uh, some of the greatest movies exist in trilogies. And as I was thinking about this myself, I came to realize that my three favorite movies uh, all are trilogies. Now, uh, what are those movies? Uh, my first, my all-time favorite movie is Back to the Future, right? Back to the, the most perfect movie, I, I often say. It's a trilogy. Uh, my second favorite movie is The Matrix, which is, I think has so many gospel themes. And the Matrix exists in trilogy. Uh, and then the third uh, is the original Star Wars trilogy, um, which actually, if you think about it, the whole Skywalker saga is nine stories and three, it's, it's in a, a trilogy of trilogies. It's three sets of three. And I bring that up only because I realize you know, so many good stories take place over three parts. And I bring that up because, as we'll see today, the story of God's redemption takes place over three parts, over three books, so to speak. You see, the story of God's redemption of a sinful mankind that has run away and rebelled against him, that story of God's pursuing love and how he is reaching uh, the nations with this very good news, that takes place over three books, so to speak. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, as we start looking at Acts chapter 1, here's the gospel truth, the one-sentence summary of what I want us to focus on. The story of redemption is accomplished by the triune God, but announced through the church. Let me say that one more time. The story of redemption is accomplished by the triune God. That means God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. But that story of redemption is announced through the church. And as we consider this gospel truth, I want to take a look at um, this sermon and this passage under three points, which are simply the three books that we see. Now, here's the first book. Um, I need to orient you to Acts since we're going to be spending so much time there. The book of Acts uh, was written by a man named Luke. Now, let me tell you about Luke. Luke was a traveling companion of Paul, meaning that when Paul went on these missionary journeys all throughout Asia Minor, oftentimes Luke went with him, but not all the time. And we know this because if you carefully read the book of Acts, you'll notice these times when uh, Luke will write, we went, but there are times when he'll write, they went. And you'll begin to notice actually in those moments, Luke is present with them in some, in some of the journeys and he's not present with them in other journeys. So Luke is writing a lot of Acts as an eyewitness. Other parts of Acts he's writing because he's heard from them. Second, we know Luke was a doctor. He was, you know, um, a very well-educated man. In Colossians 4, when Paul is writing about Luke, he actually refers to Luke. He says, Luke, that beloved physician greets you. And this is important because it means Luke was really well-educated. He was well-studied. And so when you read his writings, you'll notice he pays a lot of attention to details. He writes with precision. He writes with clarity. And thirdly, the book of Acts, we notice, was written for a man named Theophilus. Now, we may not know a lot about Theophilus, but here's why he's important. Because writing to Theophilus connects the book of Acts with another book in the New Testament. 
In fact, you begin to see, if you look back at uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, uh, that Luke also writes to a man named Theophilus. Now, just a little bit of trivia here, Bible facts. Uh, Luke wrote Luke and Acts, and together those two books comprise 25% of the entire New Testament. And so this man has written so many books. Actually, a lot of scholars argue that uh, Luke and Acts was meant to be one book, but as Luke was writing his gospel, uh, the scrolls that he used to write on, you know, in the old days, that he was filling up the entire scroll and was like, oh, I can't fit this all in one. So he concluded that book and then he started a second scroll and that's where he began the book of Acts. And so what you begin to notice is um, the way that Luke begins chapter one and the way he begins Acts chapter one is very similar. And so I want to read for you the way that uh, Luke chapter one verses one to four begins. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word having delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught and so this is how Luke begins his first uh, book his gospel and then if you look again at Acts chapter 1 how does he begin in verse 1 in the first book O Theophilus I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach and what you see here is that Luke's first book that he's referring to in Acts is the gospel, the gospel of Luke. And the gospel of Luke is all about the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And you may have wondered this before. Why are there four gospels? There's Matthew, there's Mark, there's Luke, and there's John. Why are there four if they're all saying the same thing? And what you begin to notice that each gospel gives you a different lens, a different perspective into the life of Jesus. And what's unique about Luke is this. Luke writes in a way where when he presents Jesus to you, he presents a Jesus who spent all of his time with the outsiders and the outcasts. You see that Luke is presenting a Jesus to you who has a different kind of charisma, who doesn't have a charisma of walking into a room and attracting everyone's eyes and attentions because they're longing for him. Instead, when Jesus walks into the room, all of the losers, all of the rejects, all of the unpopular kids start being attracted to Jesus because there's something about him that's unique and special. This Jesus, he is one who had it on his heart and on his mind and his mission to chase after those who were the last, those who were the least, and those who were the lost. That he said that those who are last, I'll put you first. When infants were being cast away, he says, no, let the least of these come to me. That he would leave 99 to pursue after the lost. This is the kind of Jesus that's being presented in this first book, the Gospel of Luke. And so when Luke writes in Acts 1, I'm telling you about all Jesus began to do and to teach, he's explaining to us about who Jesus was, the type of person he was. And we learn this very important detail from the Gospel of Luke, that Jesus, when he came into the world, didn't just come as a good teacher. He didn't come just as a good person, a religious leader, but Jesus came as a king. And that when Jesus came into the world, he came to usher, he came to bring in a new kingdom. He came in to proclaim that kingdom, and then he came in to burst open the doors and the gates so that all outside of the kingdom could be welcomed in. That's what the Gospel of Luke is about. You see, 
Before Jesus was even born, the angel visited his mother Mary and said to him in Luke chapter 1 this very promise. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You see, Jesus knew and understood his mission and his purpose in life well before most of us in this room have. Some of us are still trying to figure that out. What is my place in the world? What is God calling me to? What is my vision? You know, you may have as a kid, you know, said, oh, when I grow up, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a doctor, right? I want to be a scientist. You know, Jesus was one of those kids that when he was a kid, he said, Jesus, what do you want to be? He says, I want to be the king of the world. Well, Jesus, you know, that's very hard. And Jesus would look at them and say, well, no, this is not what I want to be. This is what I am going to be. But it was the very mission and the purpose for which Jesus was sent into the world. And he came as the king. He brought a kingdom and he proclaims the kingdom. So when Jesus begins his ministry at the age of 30, in Luke chapter 4, this is what he says. He says this, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns. Why? Why must I do this? For I was sent for this purpose. Jesus knew my role, the reason I came to this broken world, was not only to usher in the kingdom, but it was also to preach about this kingdom. But it doesn't even end there because it's one thing if Jesus comes in and says, here's a great place you should all go. Here's where you all belong to be, but I can't do anything to get you in there. No, no, no. Jesus comes and he says, I brought a kingdom. I'm preaching and sharing the kingdom and I'm going to do everything to open the doors to let those on the outside come into the kingdom. And that's what this first book, the Gospel of Luke, is all about. All that Jesus did to welcome sinners, we who are rebels and traitors, to welcome us into his very kingdom, to grant us access. And this is why even on the cross, as Jesus is being slain and crucified for the sins of the very people who were rejecting him, he's able to say in Luke 23, verse 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then Jesus was pleading and was offering this promise of forgiveness. I came to this earth, and even while I'm being slain, I'm praying for your forgiveness. But that was not just a plea and an offer that Jesus was hoping the Father would hear. It's something he accomplished. So that through his life, his death, and his resurrection, he secured for us this forgiveness. He didn't secure for us the offer of forgiveness. He secured for us forgiveness. So Luke is going to end his gospel by writing this. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Now why am I doing all of this summary? Because simply put, when Luke writes in Acts 1, oh, Theophilus, in the first book that I wrote about, I told you all that Jesus began to do in the teaching. This is what Luke is referring to. That Jesus has come and he brought his kingdom, he's proclaiming his kingdom, and he's made a way for those to enter his kingdom. Which means this about this first book, the first book, which is the Gospel of Luke. It means not only that this is a good book, it means it's a glorious book. And it's a glorious book because it holds forth to this hopeless world, the only hope that we need. That the king has come. He has brought his kingdom 
and he has opened wide its gates so that through faith and repentance you could be brought in. You see, this is the first book that Luke is talking about in Acts chapter 1. It's a glorious book, but this book doesn't tell the entirety of the story, which leads to our second point, the second book. The second book. Look with me again at chapter 1, verse 1 of Acts, and listen carefully to how Luke writes this. He says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And that's an important uh, way that Luke is writing this because if the first book is all that Jesus began to do and to teach, Luke is saying that this second book I'm writing, the book of Acts, is all that Jesus is continuing to do and teach. You see, although Jesus is no longer present with him because he's soon going to ascend to heaven, Jesus is still at work. He has never stopped working. His absence does not mean that he is not continuing to do his ministry and his mission here on earth. And the whole book of Acts is basically saying this, that Jesus is still continuing to do his work in this world, except now he's doing it through the mission and the ministry of his church by the power of his spirit. You know, I've shared this with uh, many of you before, uh, but my now-retired father owned a seafood business in Baltimore City, in Holland's Market in uh, West, uh, West Baltimore. And he was uh, the typical immigrant worker, the typical immigrant uh, father. He rarely took a day off of work. Um, even when the worst of physical ailments uh, came about him, he still insisted stubbornly uh, to go to work despite his conditions. And it was really only um, family emergencies or being out of country that would actually pull him away from the store. Um, and so, you know, he, he, if he was really, really sick, um, he would still try to go. Sometimes he would go, uh, realize he was sick, and he'd come back. And whenever the cases where he couldn't go or he couldn't stay, he always uh, would send me instead. You know, sometimes I just wish he would close the store, but, but he would send me instead. And so one of the things I would have to do is I'd have to wake up really early in the morning, and I'd have to get to this market, and I had the key, so I would open up the store so that the employees could come up and they could set everything up. It's a fish market, and so you set up all the ice and lay out all the fish. And then um, after that, I would have to be the last one to leave because after they put everything away, I'd have to lock everything up and then uh, dismiss. And, you know, as a, as because of that position, I had all of the keys, right? I had the keys to this, you know, public market. I had the keys to the freezer, and I had the keys to the cooler, and I had the keys um, to the cash register, and I had all of the keys, right? I, I was the man. I, I, was, I was the most important man in the building. But I wasn't. Because although I had all the keys, I still wasn't in charge. You see, because here's the thing. Every morning, regardless of where my dad was, if he was in Korea visiting family or in some other part of the world doing missions, somehow he would still call me every morning and give me instructions for the day. And somehow, no matter what time zone he was in or no matter what time zone I was in, he would call me at the end of the workday and I would have to debrief with him how everything went. You see, my dad was no longer present with me, but he was still at work. He was doing his work through me. You see, Jesus here in Acts, he ascends into heaven. But just because he ascends into heaven doesn't mean he stops working. He's continuing his work. He's continuing his will. He's continuing his mission. He's continuing his ministry. How? Through his church. We are now the body of Christ. 
You see, that's what's happening here. Some of your Bibles, if you look at it, uh, may have this fuller title. We call it the book of Acts, but your Bible may say something like, the ESV would say something like, the Acts of the Apostles. Now that's only partly true. Because although the book of Acts does record for us everything that the apostles did, it's only half true. Because what we see in the book of Acts is actually the work that Christ did through his apostles. You can't understand Luke as a book about, oh, Jesus did all these things, the book of Acts is about what the church does. Rather, Luke is about the ministry Jesus did through his physical body. The book of Acts is about the ministry Jesus did through his spiritual body, the church. But this is a ministry, it's a mission, it's a work that we did, we the church do, not by human strength, but by the Holy Spirit. And this is why Jesus said in verse 4, he ordered his disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And later you're actually going to see in the book of Acts in chapter 2, that on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit will come, and the Spirit will empower and embolden the church for witness, for ministry and mission to the world. And that's why verse 8 is so important. Read with me verse 8, where Jesus says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This second book, this book of Acts, do you know what it's about if you had to summarize it? The book of Acts is how this message of the kingdom of God started in Jerusalem and how by the power of the Spirit working through the church, that gospel message, the message of God's kingdom, began expanding outwardly in concentric circles, starting in Jerusalem, then going to Judea, and then spreading out to Samaria, and finally reaching the end of the earth. In this kind of way, I often think of Acts sort of like a tracking number. Do you remember in the olden days before tracking numbers, you would order something and then you just had to wait? Right? Waiting. You know, that ancient word, waiting. I remember the very first thing that I ever waited for, uh, collecting the top of the box of Cheerios. And if you ate 10 boxes of Cheerios and you sent in the, the special code, you could get a video. And I remember waiting because uh, I sent it in because it said Star Wars, or VHS. If you don't know what a VHS is, ask somebody next to you. <laughs> but I was waiting week after week after week, and I think like something like eight weeks later, I get it in the mail, and it turns out it wasn't a VHS of Star Wars the movie. It was a VHS of the making of Star Wars, <laughs> a behind-the-scenes footage. But nowadays, none of you know how to wait, because now they give tracking numbers, and you can log online and put in the tracking number. When you're really excited, what do you do? You refresh, especially now with Amazon Prime and things of these same-day deliveries, right? You expect things quickly. And whenever I order something and I'm very excited, I have the habit of every couple hours just checking, right, where is it, where is it, right? Did it leave the seller's facility? Oh, yes, it did, right? It arrived at the, at the, uh, at the FedEx, yes! Now it's on a carrier, amen! Now it's in your zip code, praise God. Now it's on the truck, oh, yes, Lord. Scheduled delivery, it'll be there before 9 p.m. Package is delayed. Oh no! <laughs> Scheduled delivery on time at your front door. You see, you're able to track the shipment from when it left the seller's facility till it arrived at your door. That's what the book of Acts is. The book of Acts is telling you how the gospel began in Jerusalem, 
how the good news of the kingdom of God began in Jerusalem and how it begins spreading and how it reaches Judea and how it reaches Samaria. And by the time the book of Acts ends, the gospel of the kingdom is being preached in Rome. You see, if Luke is a book that tells you about how the gospel of the kingdom came into the world, the book of Acts is telling you how the gospel of the kingdom spread out across the world. See, Luke is about how the kingdom came into the world. Acts is about how the kingdom is spreading across the world. And you see this, you know, because Jesus in verse 4 says, I want you to stay. Don't depart from Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And if you read the book of Acts, and friends, I encourage you because we're going to spend two years in it, read the book of Acts. That what you begin seeing is chapter by chapter the gospel of the kingdom expanding and spreading out. Not only chapter by chapter, but city by city, region by region, language by language, people by people, the gospel of the kingdom of God is spreading out and it's advancing and there is nothing that anyone can do to stop it. In fact, what you begin to notice in the book of Acts is anytime persecution arises, anytime an obstacle comes out, God uses that very persecution to then send his gospel out even further. And we'll see that in the coming weeks. But the second book, what is the book of Acts about? It's about the spreading of the kingdom, the advance of the kingdom of God out of Jerusalem and now beginning to head to the end of the earth. Which then brings us to this third point, the third book. Now some of you are going, well, I don't, what book is he talking about? There is no third book. Well, in Chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts. Jesus promises that the gospel, you will be my witnesses, and the gospel will spread out, beginning in Jerusalem, and will reach to the end of the earth. By the time you finish the book of Acts, you're in chapter 28, you get to verse 31, and you realize, okay, Paul is no longer in Jerusalem. Where's Paul? He's in Rome. That's so far away from Jerusalem. But Rome is not the end of the earth. So Acts ends with the message of the kingdom having reached Rome, but we know that although Acts ends, the story of the kingdom doesn't end. The gospel's advancement doesn't stop where the book stops, and that's good news for us. Because here we are today, Christians, 2,000 years later, worshiping in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. How did the gospel get from Jerusalem to Lansdale? How did the gospel not only cross the Mediterranean Sea into Europe, how did it cross the Atlantic Ocean? And it's because the mission of the church continues long after this second book ends. So in one sense, friends, you can say that we are actually living in a metaphorical third book. There is a third book being written. Now, Lest there be confusion, I'm not saying this third book is written and it'll be added to scripture. I'm not saying there's new revelation in this third book. It's a metaphorical third book. A book that God is writing and everything in that book details, records all that God has done that after Acts 28 ends and Acts 29, so to speak, begins, the gospel of the kingdom continues to advance. And how does God do that? He does it through you and through me. He does it through his church. In my sanctified imagination, I think often how one day when the Lord calls us home and we stand in his presence, and after we get done asking, you know, Moses and David and all, you know, all the questions, we, how tall was Goliath and you know, what was it like fighting? After we ask him all the questions, we're going to sit down for story time. 
Because we have all the revelation up until Acts 28, until the gospel reaches Rome, but we don't know what happened after that. We know somehow it's reached us now, but we don't know what's happened after that. And I feel like God's going to sit us down and he said, let me tell you a story. And he's going to open up the third book. And he's going to tell you how the gospel left Rome and how it began to infiltrate into every city of Europe and how it began to enter into the villages in Africa and how it began to seep into homes in China and how it began to pour over into the streets in South America and how it reached even a small borough like Lansdale, Pennsylvania. God is writing this third book and all the events that are happening in taking the gospel out of Rome to reach the end of the earth is exactly what the church of Jesus Christ has been commissioned to do. And you and I, friends, as we live in this story, as we live in this third book, we are contributing to that very book. Because Cornerstone is not the only church in the world. Cornerstone joins the multitude of churches over the past 2,000 years that have been participating in the work of kingdom advancement. And all the ministry we're doing is adding to the stories of the third book. But it's not just the church alone. It's you, you friends, who have been called out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. You are being used in that third book. You have a place. You have an invitation to contribute something to that third book as we begin to think kingdom. And here's what we need to understand. There are roles in the story. There are things in this story that you don't do and there are things in the story you're called to do. What are the things you're not called to do? Well, three things. Things that only the triune God does. You're not called to author the salvation. Only God the Father authors salvation. You're not called to accomplish the salvation. Only God the Son accomplishes the salvation. You're not called to apply the salvation. Only God the Spirit uh, applies salvation. But the church, you and me, we are invited to do one thing. It's not the author It's not to accomplish, it's not to apply. What are we called to do? Called to announce. The church of Jesus Christ is called to announce this good news of the salvation of the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. That's the role you and I get to play. Jesus is in heaven. He's no longer doing his earthly ministry, but friends, do not be mistaken. He is continuing his heavenly ministry now through us. And so as we talk about this theme of think a kingdom, what does think kingdom mean? Thinking kingdom means that you are understanding, you are seeing yourself as a part of this third book God is writing. And so you begin seeing all of your relationships as a way of kingdom advancement getting the good news that Jesus Christ is the king of the world and that he has defeated sin and death, defeated your sin and can defeat your death, and that through faith and repentance you can be brought into the kingdom. You begin advancing that. How? Where? When? If you're a parent, you advance the kingdom in your home. You advance the kingdom into your kids' lives. If you're a spouse, you advance the kingdom into the lives of your husband or your wife. If you're in school, you advance the kingdom, this message of the kingdom, in your classroom, in your workplace, in your community, in your neighborhood, at the gym, on your sports team the YMCA, wherever you do your hobbies, the rock climbing gym, that we are called now to understand that we are no longer just partakers of the kingdom by which God, by grace, has invited us in, but we are now participants of the kingdom. And that God has a mission for us, and that through that he is writing this third book. 
And you have to understand, this is by grace. You know, so many times, uh, we believe in grace, right? It's by grace that you did not deserve an invitation into the kingdom, right? You did not deserve an invitation into the kingdom. How did you get into the kingdom? God delighted to invite you into the kingdom. You didn't deserve it, it was God's delight. And we understand, by grace alone, I'm brought into the kingdom. But then, friends, do you understand that it's by grace alone that although you are brought into the kingdom, now you are called to bring the kingdom out to the world. By grace, he has allowed us to participate in this work. Yes, we don't accomplish it, but we have a role in announcing it. What does it mean to think kingdom? It means to live each day in the humble reality that God has invited me to partake of the story that he is writing, this third book in which he is advancing the kingdom out into the world. And I'll close with this. Some of us, you know, some people in history, I, I feel at, at the end, of the, at, at the end when, when God sets us down for story time and he begins to open up the third book for us, there, there'll be some great men, right? Hudson Taylor, William Carey, these men that in that third book, maybe they've contributed chapters. And then there'll be other, you know, great men who will have contributed paragraphs. And there'll be some great men and women who, who have contributed uh, a few sentences. But the reality is, even if you contribute just a few words, what an amazing privilege it is that God would invite you to participate in the work of kingdom advancement. Not only as a church, not only as Cornerstone, but each of you personally and individually. We long for, we look forward to that day when we sit down with the Lord and he opens up the third book. And he says, at this point in history, in 2020, Cornerstone, well done, good and faithful servant. This is what you did. And he points out your name, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. This is how you contributed. And we get to celebrate that the Lord used us to take his kingdom out unto the nations to the end of the earth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know of no greater cause to live for. Lord, no greater purpose and mission to which we've been called than to play a part in the advancement of your kingdom through proclamation, through declaration, through announcement. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would uh, inspire each one of us, Lord, that just as King Jesus came, and he brought the kingdom of God to this world as he gave up his life to invite us into that kingdom. And now by his Holy Spirit, he empowers us to live out the kingdom and to participate in its work of reaching the nations, but not only the nations, not only the people all the way out there, but the people in our own very lives, in our family, our extended family, in our social circles, in our work circles, Lord, in our acquaintances. And I pray, O oh Lord, that we would then give our lives as we begin to think at kingdom and how although you've accomplished this great thing for us, you've invited us, Lord, to announce it to the world that all may know Jesus Christ, bend the knee to him, declare his glory and his praises. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Church of God, receive now the benediction. 
Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the love of God, the Father Almighty, and the fellowship and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit be with you all, both now and forevermore. Amen. Friends, would you hear the words of dismissal? Let us go forth to serve the world as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Go in peace, dear friends.